Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is the word of the Lord from Romans 16, verses 16 through 20. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we continue on here in February talking about missions, and I said from the beginning of this month, and I've said every Sunday, this is not missions month, as in we're only thinking about missions for one month, but this is a reminder, a refresher, that God's heart for the nations is to be woven into the identity of who we are as followers of Jesus. That God loves the peoples of the world, including all of us. And he calls us uh, as his people to be those who are great commission focused. We see the call and commission on our lives to make disciples of all the nations. And to be kingdom minded. That we are always looking for where the kingdom of God is at work around us. So that we might announce Christ's kingdom to others. And where we see the kingdom at work, we might join God in the ways that he's working and be a part of his kingdom work wherever it's happening, whether it's over there or whether it's right here. And so we've been talking about this in terms of mission and in terms of kingdom. Today we're going to talk about missions in terms of victory. That our victory is Christ's victory. And Christ's victory is ours. And that indeed... God has promised us, the God of peace, that Satan will soon be crushed underneath our feet. And today I hope that we will leave here with hope in the victory that we share with Jesus Christ. But to get us towards that part of the scripture, I want us to think again for a moment about the image of God. We've talked about the mission of God, the move of God, the kingdom of God. I want you to think for a moment again about the image of God and how scripture tells us that we see the image of God most clearly on earth in human beings, in each and every person, whether it's a person in our family or our neighbor or a stranger, that every single person has been made in the image of God. And I want you to think about this with me for a moment in terms of something you may have heard of before, living libraries. These are popping up all over the world and in the United States. You can go into a living library, or some call it a human library, and rather than checking out a book, you can check out a person. And the person that you check out will tell you their story. Instead of reading their story, you sit and you listen and you make eye contact while they tell you their story and for some of us that would be really uncomfortable because we've been so conditioned now not to have contact with real living human beings but many of us spend so much of our lives just in front of screens and even when we interact with people we do it often over screens or many of our relationships with people they're just superficial 
or even in this last season we've been in where we've been taught to keep people at a distance this is something that might be strange or foreign to us but it forces a person to sit down with a person and and to see in them their humanity and i can only imagine that being a part of something like a living library whether you're talking to one person or a group of people that you would see again the value of that person sitting in front of you and they would see the value in you i wonder if oftentimes what keeps us from really surrendering ourselves to the work that god is doing in the world the mission of god the move of god the kingdom of god is simply that we've forgotten the value that god places in people and that the heart of mission is not that god sends us out to the nations because he's in love with a map or because he's in love with a globe but because among the nations of the world that's where we find the peoples of the world and god loves the peoples of the world so as we turn to romans 16 this morning the end of the text that we read talks to us about our victory in christ that his victory is ours but before we get there i want to go all the way back to the beginning of romans 16 and i want us to see what paul does for us in this chapter he gives us something like a living library look into the church in rome in the first century part of what we've been doing this month through our global church moments is just remembering that god is at work in the peoples of the world and in churches all over the world and the name of jesus is worship today we sang about jesus love in many different languages that's happening all over the world I've, I've hoped that our view of the church in the world would get a little bit bigger this month but also what about the ancient church what about our brothers and sisters in christ from the past we we know we are the fruit of the mission and the ministry that god did through them but many times we don't know who they are well paul here in romans 16 like a living library gives us a long list of names in fact this is the longest list of names that paul gives in any of his letters in the new testament and he helps us as we look back to the first century church in rome to see them to see our brothers and sisters in christ from the past and to hear their names and even in a few cases to get a little bit of a snapshot about what paul says about them and the way that god was working in their lives so i invite you to join me as we walk towards the scripture that we just read beginning at the beginning of romans chapter 16 where paul starts introducing us to many of those who were in the church at rome the first name we have in romans 16 is phoebe and phoebe is commended to the church in rome here and the word that's used in greek is the word deacon phoebe is called a deacon now if you want to know more about why phoebe is called a deacon and if you want to know more about why i think another woman is named a little bit later in this chapter junia and junia is named among the apostles as we read it in this translation i want to invite you to come back tonight okay at five o'clock we're going to dig into this chapter and into these names a lot further and talk more about who these people are and i will tell you tonight straight out what i think about the roles of some of the folks who are mentioned in this chapter but that's not our aim this morning our aim this morning is to see 
this wonderfully diverse and effective church in Rome in the first century and to meet them a little bit further. So Phoebe was a servant. She was a deacon in the church of Centre, which was in the area of Corinth. And Paul says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord because Phoebe is the one that Paul has given the responsibility of delivering the letter to the Romans. So Paul's in Corinth at the time, and Phoebe is the one who gets to deliver this letter to the church's meeting there in Rome. Paul says about her, I want you to receive her in a way that is worthy of his people. Give her any help that she might need from you, for she has been a blessing to many. She's been the benefactor to many people, including me. So Paul says about Phoebe, you all be a blessing to her. Then he begins this series of greetings, one person after another. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, this married couple. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And then look at what Paul says in verse 5, and greet the church that's meeting in their house. This gives us a picture of what was happening in Rome. It, it wasn't a church like this. It was a, a series, a collection of house churches where people were meeting and coming together to worship and oftentimes doing so under very difficult and dangerous circumstances. But even from one house church to another, they knew each other. And Paul knew about them. And the next person he mentions is Epinetus, who was a part of that house church that Priscilla and Aquila were leading. And he says about Epinetus, he was the first one in all of Asia Minor, and that whole province of Asia, to become a believer. We think about all the places that Paul went in Asia Minor, to Ephesus, among churches like the Galatians. And here is Epinetus, he remembers the very first one who surrendered his life to Christ. Now he's a part of the house church in Rome. Paul continues, greet Mary. How many Marys do we read about in the New Testament? Well, here's another one. Greet Mary, who worked very, very hard for you. And greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Think about what Paul just said. These are Jewish background believers. They're his kinsmen and kinswoman. They probably were in and around the church in Jerusalem at some point. That means that before Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, he persecuted them, and he approved of their persecution. Now he says, Andronicus and Junia, they're my brother and sister in Christ. We've been in prison together. All of the churches among the Gentiles know of their story. They were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, he continues, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. And greet my dear friend Stachys. By the way, if you're looking for a good list of Christian baby names, here you go. <laughs> Romans 16, lots of names nobody's used that I know of that you could name your child. He continues, greet Apelles, whose fidelity in Christ has stood the test. How, how was Apelles tested and proven faithful? Paul knew the story. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, who, who we know was, was probably a very prominent person. 
and also Herodion, named after the family of Herod, who is also my fellow Jew. And greet those who are in the household of Narcissus. Maybe not a name you're going to choose for your baby, right? Greet those who are in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. And greet those sisters, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. And greet my dear friend Persis, which means a Persian woman, a, worm, a woman from Persia. Greet my friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And by the way, in this chapter, the only people who Paul says that about, they've worked really hard in the Lord. They're all women all throughout this chapter. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been like a mother to me also. And then he mentions what I believe are a couple of other house church groups. The first one is this group of five. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Petrobas and Hermas and all the other brothers and sisters with them. And then the other group, Philologus, which by the way, means chatterbox. I've met a few philologus kind of folks in my day. You have too. And Julia, and Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. On and on and on, we hear their names. We see them. We hear just a little bit extra about some of them. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, who all had come from around the world and had landed in Rome who also are our brothers and sisters in Christ from the past, whose ministry and mission, among many others, laid the groundwork, paved the way, so that we could be here today. And in that church in Rome, you had such incredible diversity. You had, yes, men and women. Yes, you had Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. But you also had some who had high social rank and high social status, and others who had low social rank and status, including some who we know were slaves in the Roman Empire. You have people who come from different continents in these churches in Rome. You have people with different skin color who come from different backgrounds. And out in the world, for all of them, they could have found several points of division. But instead of finding division, how does Paul describe this beautiful church in Rome, these churches in Rome? In their diversity, they found unity. And together, they knew each other's stories. And they were brothers and sisters in Christ. And they set an example for us today of what it can look like to be great commission-focused, kingdom-minded, and to see the beautiful way that God can bring diversity together in unity when we all say together, we have one Lord and one King, Jesus Christ. So in verse 16, where we began, Paul just says now blank, blanketly to everyone, greet one another with a holy kiss, which back in the days in youth group, I thought maybe this was a strategy to, to meet girls. Don't try that, okay? In fact, this is a cultural thing. If this were today, we might say, greet one another with a handshake. Greet one another with a side hug. Greet one another with a fist bump in 2023. Paul says, greet each other, enjoy your fellowship with each other. And all of the other churches I've been traveling to send you greetings. They saw the first century early church, they saw their, their oneness, no matter where they were from. 
that they were all in this thing together and together Christ was their king, their Lord, the head of the church. And Paul demonstrates that to us. He's so thankful for them and he sees the great, amazing things that God is doing among this diverse group of people. But then we turn in verse 17. Paul says, now having said all of those good things and greeting all of you personally, I have a few concerns. And the, the concerns that Paul has are not concerns about what might happen from the outside in terms of attacking the churches in Rome. But his concerns are about what might happen from the inside. And so as we look at these next few verses, I want to frame them in the form of a letter, much like Paul wrote it, with the words, Dear Church. Dear Church, to the church in Rome, to the church here in South Tulsa. Dear Church, he begins... Be on your guard. Be on your guard for what? Well, again, what Paul warns them about are not attacks that come from the outside, but things that could arise from within and destroy their effectiveness. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way, those that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Now, as we said, we shouldn't imagine that persecution from the outside wasn't a factor because it was not a safe or an easy time to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ wherever you lived in the first century. It wasn't safe in the Jewish world. It wasn't safe in the Gentile world. Certainly, they were dealing with persecution from the outside. And we read about that sometimes. Jesus talks about it. Acts talks about it. The letters talk about it. But do you know what the most consistent commands are related to persecution? They're not typically the kinds of things that we might think of first in, as, as human nature. Nowhere in the New Testament, and if you don't believe me, then check me on this and prove me wrong, okay? Nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus or do any of the apostles say, if you're facing persecution, I want you to stockpile your weapons... Okay, I want you to gather your army and I want you to get ready to fight with violence. Nor does, does Jesus, nor do the apostles ever say, when you find out who wants to attack you, I want you to go and, and strike them before they strike you. Instead, here are the consistent commands we find in the New Testament regarding persecution. Live quiet lives, be good citizens, and live righteously among your neighbors. Over and over again, that's what the New Testament says. Live quiet lives, be good citizens, follow the laws as long as they don't contradict the laws that God has given to you, and live righteously among your neighbors so that if they're going to persecute you, it's going to be because you're righteous, not because you have a bad attitude, not because you are doing evil. The threats that Paul deals with here in Romans 16 are the ones that would come from the inside. As the New Testament scholar Bill Mounts said, in every group there seem to be those who are intent on bringing it down. For, for whatever reason, it's so common that, that people, whether through complaining, arguing, gossiping, causing divisions, or things even on a higher level than that, in every group, and I might say in every church, those people are there, and for whatever reason, they seem to be intent on bringing it down. 
I remember back when I was in seminary, several of my professors warned me, they warned us, when you go into churches, watch out, because in every church there are going to be people who are just never happy. And they complain and they gossip and they tear each other down and they will tear you down. And it doesn't matter where, whether you go to a church of 10 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people, those people will usually always be there. Let me just say this to you as nicely as I can. Don't be that person, okay? I'm not sharing this because there's something going on underneath or behind the scenes. This is just what Scripture reminds us, and we can find that anywhere. Don't be that person. And, and listen, all of us sometimes are tempted to be that person. The question is not whether or not once in a while we're going to complain. Once in a while we all have opinions. We all have preferences. Once in a while we're not going to like something. The question is if we realize we're being this kind of person, will we, as we become aware of it, stop and turn away from it and be life-giving instead of life-taking in our attitudes, in our words, in the ways we treat others. I believe the greatest threat to our mission effectiveness, to us being Great Commission-focused and kingdom-minded, are the threats that come not from the outside but from within, that cause divisions, that create obstacles for ministry and for mission in the church. And things that Paul says here, ultimately, they are contrary to the truth that we believe that has been given to us from God's word. And so I love what John Stott said, one of my favorite scholars who passed away a few years ago. He said, there are three tests that we can, we can put anything we hear or see, we can put through these three tests and we can decide, is this from the Holy Spirit or is it not? And here are the three tests. Is it biblical? Does it agree with scripture? Is it Christological? Does it honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? And is it moral? Does it promote goodness? If it's not these three things, then it probably doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. And we probably should do what Paul says next. Dear church, be on your guard, he says first. Dear church, he says next, be set apart. If you know that that division is there and those obstacles are being created, keep away from them. Because those who choose to be that way and who are putting up those obstacles and creating those divisions, they are more concerned with serving themselves than with serving the Lord. Keep away from them, for such people aren't serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, what do they do? They deceive. They deceive the minds of naive people. They create obstacles. They create divisions someone once said that complaining and gossiping in the church is like passing around a hot potato when you pass that off to somebody else you feel relieved but you've now put that hot thing in their hands and they have to deal with it don't be that person let's not be those people we serve the lord not ourselves and oftentimes what we really need is just that simple reminder it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ and his kingdom. Paul said this to Titus about divisive people. He describes them in chapter 3 as those who, who start foolish arguments, 
He describes them there in, in the last verse. People, they're warped. They're sinful. They're self-condemned. He says, Titus, here's how you deal with a, div- a div- divisive person. Warn them once. Warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. Because that kind of toxicity and foolishness will only drag you down. It will not lift you up, build you up, nor will it build up the body of Christ. Many of you probably know the name Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, which is a church that began several, several decades ago in Brooklyn, New York. It started with next to nothing and has grown to be this incredibly effective church. And especially in the early days, Brooklyn Tab would draw people from, from really difficult circumstances, addicts, and others who were living in lots of darkness. And, and that church just saw incredible miracles in the early days. But, but as happens in any church, as we said, some divisions started to creep up. Some complaining started to happen. And so Jim Cimbala, in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, tells this story. He says, One Sunday, the Holy Spirit prompted me to say to some new members who were lined up across the front, just like we do here at South Tulsa, to some new members lined up across the front, And now I charge you, new members, that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word or criticism or slander against anyone else in this church, whether it be myself as the pastor or an usher or a choir member or anyone else, he said, I want you to stop that person in mid-sentence and say to them in love, excuse me, who upset you? Was it our pastor? If so, let's go to his office right now. Let's pray together, and God will restore peace. And Jim Cimbala said to them, this is how the Bible tells us to handle things. And I deputize you, he said, to help all of us resolve this kind of thing immediately. And know this, he said, if you are ever the one doing the loose talking, we'll confront you too in love. Jim Simbalov concludes, he says, to this day, I say much the same thing to all of our members because I know what most easily destroys churches. It's not crack cocaine. It's not government oppression or even lack of funds, but rather it's gossip and slander and anything that deceives and grieves and anything that grieves the Holy Spirit. So just as Jim Cimbala said, I deputize you in love. Let's be the church that people know us as. So often I hear people say, South Tulsa is such a kind church, such a friendly church, such a welcoming church, such a gracious church, such a servant-hearted, mission-minded church. That's the kind of church I want to be. Is that the kind of church you want to be? I love those statements. Then let's be that church. And remember that these things that creep in from the inside can destroy us quicker than anything else. We cannot be the light of the world if we're acting just like the world. And so Paul says, dear church, be on your guard, be set apart. And then in verse 19, he says, and dear church, be faithful. The word had spread about these churches in Rome and what joy that brought to Paul Everyone, he says, has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you. And, and he says back in, in the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and he's saying this 
in the beginning of this this letter to all those people he's named in chapter 16 so he's saying this about priscilla and aquila and epinetus and even old narcissus paul says to them i thank my god through jesus christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world around five years ago this became the verse that i started praying most consistently for our church as we think about what it means to be great commission focused kingdom-minded people and as a church i've prayed may our faith in jesus christ be known all over the world not so that people will glorify us or our church but so that they'll hear about our faith and they'll give glory to our lord and savior jesus christ and they will believe upon his name for salvation and that's what paul is saying to the romans i thank my god through jesus christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world and he admonishes them remembering those threats that that exist that could crop up among them be wise about all that is good and be innocent keep your guard up against all that is evil so that god may continue to demonstrate his great faithfulness through your faithfulness dear church be on your guard dear church be set apart dear church be faithful and knowing that none of this is easy it wasn't easy for christians in first century rome and it's not easy for us as followers of christ today but knowing that none of this is easy paul finishes this section and he drives home this point dear church remember where our hope is that christ's victory is our victory and someday soon the god of peace will crush satan underneath your feet the kingdom is advancing and the church is being formed all over the world even through conflict but christ has already won the victory and his victory is our victory now paul here i believe is referring to a prophecy from genesis 3 this was our old testament reading this morning and what genesis tells us at the very first moment when the first human being sinned against god was that a day was coming where the offspring of the woman who is jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent for good and even as he crushes his head genesis said the serpent is going to strike at his heel and that happened to jesus when he went to the cross he was beaten he was pierced for our transgressions he did suffer but we know and we believe and we proclaim brothers and sisters in christ that jesus won the victory on the cross amen the serpent struck at his heel but sin was defeated on the cross death was defeated when christ rose from the dead three days later and as he defeated sin and death we can say this morning with full confidence his victory is our victory today if you are drowning in sin if you are overwhelmed by life if you would say my life is far more marked by darkness than it is light can i just point you to the cross of jesus christ and let you see this as a symbol not of death and defeat but a symbol of victory and life christ has defeated death 
He has defeated sin, and we can be freed from sin simply by surrendering our lives to him. But darkness still exists right now, doesn't it? That's what Paul was saying. The God of peace is going to finish this task at some point. Jesus has already defeated sin and death. He already has evil underneath his foot. But he did that when he came the first time. We believe Christ is going to come again. And when Christ comes again, he will crush for good the head of the serpent. Evil, sin, darkness, it will all be gone. And that, even as we deal with the struggles and the conflicts of this life today, that is our hope, brothers and sisters. His victory is our victory. We already live in the victory of the cross and the resurrection. Someday and for all eternity, we will live in the victory of the new heaven and the new earth, and darkness will be gone forever. So as we consider what it means that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet, and that the grace of our Lord Jesus is with us now, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. And as we prepare for a time of response, I want you simply to hear these words, which come from another of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians 15, that remind us in, in incredibly rich language that his victory is ours and our victory is his. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and more, the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, I thank you today for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I thank you that the victory we have is not because of us. It's because of what you have done for us. And that our hope, our trust, and our faith is not in us or in our strength, but it is in you. And Lord, there are times where, if we're honest, it feels like the darkness is winning. But we know that the truth of Scripture is that the light is overcoming the darkness. That sin and death have already been defeated. And through Jesus Christ, through surrendering our lives, through confessing our sins, giving them to you, turning away from them, and committing all of our hearts to you as Lord, as King, as Savior. Lord, we know that we can walk in victory. I pray today, Lord, if there's anyone here who feels like they are in chains, they are bound by their sin, that today they would look to you and see not only victory, but freedom. God, would you set them free? And Lord, as you open up all of our hearts today, wherever we are, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, May we all take the next step of obedience today in following you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.